Welcome back to Dunk Caught a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan, the tyrant. <laughs> I gotta say, not very original. Not for not, I'm not saying you're not very original, right? But just the fact that he. Well, we have finished. We have finished Gardens of the Moon. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I want to do a quick warm up. I say quick. I have no idea how long it's going to last. Um, so before we get to the Gardens of the Moon, I want to talk about something that I did yesterday. Okay. And longtime listeners will know I'm a big sports fan. Gotta be. So we went to a baseball game yesterday because things are getting back to normal. Uh, oh, cool. Let's go do something. Baseball game. Pretty fun. Um, I'm not normally a big baseball guy Mm -hmm. so when i go to baseball games it's partially to watch the game but also partially to like people watch oh yeah right good opportunity for people watching yeah and it was phenomenal for people watching because for one thing uh my partner and i are in grad school we got student tickets Mm. so we were in the like i don't want to say student section but like most of the people around us were students Mm -hmm. and it's phenomenal. I love it. I love I love people watching, especially like undergraduate students. It's not a criticism at all, to be clear. It's just very fun. Um, what are some my highlights? biggest observation? Yeah, we gotta have some highlights. My biggest here. observation that I want to bring us to highlight of the night. Um, this group in front of us. Mm-hmm. It was first a group of maybe like five guys. Mm-hmm. And then you're right, it's bleachers. So it's kind of hard to like move around, you know? Yeah. When another when the next group comes in of another like five guys that knows this group and sits near them, it's not like convenient to sit down, right? But the thing that I love is that when a group of guys of this age meets another group of guys, everyone gives each other the little high five, like slash handshake uh-huh. thing, and there's never you can't miss a person, right? No, of course Love not. It. Of course not. You can't. So for like a couple minutes, this group of five guys goes through, or ten guys goes through the iteration of every single person, all the permutations, even though it's of- like really inconvenient. <laughs> It was awesome. And then a few minutes later, right, the 10 guys are all sitting. Another guy comes. Oh, yes. And gives every single one of them the little high five handshake. And it was awesome. And they did it. And I don't know. I I don't know why I enjoyed watching this so much. Again, I'm not criticizing at all. I'm very I think that was very nice. This. I, I actually love this when, like, some bros meet up in public and there's, like, a certain level of hype that's very good. It, like, it, like, gets you in the mindset for for hanging out. And I feel like mm-hmm. this is just, like, this is just throwing me back to when I could go out in public and see my bros out somewhere and just get hype and hang out in a public space. Right. And I love this. I'm very here for this. I do think it's inefficient, though. As we've noticed, like if you're trying to do every permutation of all of these handshakes when you get into a big group with everybody, that's taken a while and it's taken some space. <laughs> I think we need just a group thing, you know, something where 
like everybody does it at the same time. Like maybe it's a group patty cake. Like what you do one patty okay. cake in a circle and then you've connected everyone all once, but it takes like no time at all. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. I go the other way on this mm. because I think that the time and space it takes is actually a pro rather than a con. You love the fact that these 10 bros have inconvenienced all the people around them by taking up a bunch of space and standing up in the middle of this baseball game. Because you can't do the handshake slap sitting down, right? Everybody stood up, right? Right. Right. Well, the new the people coming in were standing up and they did not sit down and then do it. Yeah. So, yes, at least one half of the people doing it is standing up. And... I don't know if everyone else around me loved this. I just know that I did. I see. And Mm -hmm. it seemed really nice. The amount of... I I feel like the inconvenience is part of the message where it's like, I'm so excited to see you. I'm willing to do this nonsense. (laughs) Okay. Okay, sure. I I think there is something to be said for that. I'm just thinking, you know, as we're as we're joining these public spaces again, we're learning how to be in public again. We've got some opportunities to maybe shake up how we do things to be a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe maybe we're going to ditch that. We're finally going to ditch the handshake. You know, we're finally going to ditch that. And we're going to something like bowing when we meet somebody else or, or something like that. Something okay. cool. Sure. And so I'm thinking. There's tons of options. It's time to innovate. It's time to innovate in the social space here. And I think this is providing us an opportunity to do something. Because we could do something too that would be hype and would potentially be a little bit distracting. But it's just shorter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like maybe okay. everybody jumps at the same time. Ooh. I'm I'm partial to everyone does the little Black Panther, oh like, like Wakanda forever kind arms of arms across the chest move. That could be very cool. I feel yeah. like maybe the bros that you saw, it might not be cool. I'm now I'm making an assumption here about these bros that you saw in Arizona, but I feel like that could be a little problematic potentially. Mm. Okay, potentially. I'm no expert sure. on this. Uh, but something like that could be very cool. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I think we need to move on to the book, Luke. <laughs> That's true. Um, point is, uh, go go do some stuff and people watch. Anyway, so we've finished. We've, like I said, we've finished Gardens of the Moon. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. First off, we got to address some comments from mm. subreddits. Uh, the Malazan subreddit, good to have you on board. Uh, if you didn't know, we also have a subreddit for the podcast, our Don't Call It a Book Club. If you want to follow uh, us into the future and you want to comment on some other stuff that, we would, that we're going to be doing, we'll post there every episode. So if you want to comment there, you can. Speaking of which, toward an EQ had a comment this week where we we talked about this awkward dinner scene among our group before they left pale a little while ago 
how the, it, right the scene in which the adjunct accuses Tattersale of being a murderer like rightly accuses her not accuses just is like hey everybody just so you know Tattersale did this big murder right it was less of an accusation more of a statement of history it was a history lesson mm-hmm. uh and how awkward that dinner conversation is and Torden EQ reminded us of the uh, the dinner from Red Rising when they all meet up and have to explain who they've murdered to be there. And that is also an extremely uncomfortable dinner conversation. If you're not familiar with Red Rising, first of all, definitely go read that book. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, another great awkward dinner scene that I had totally forgotten about, but but has these vibes of uh, just really uncomfortable. Yeah, if you haven't read Red Rising yet, go for it. I might actually, just a, just a reminder, after this episode, we're taking two weeks off. Um, honestly, great time to go read Red Rising. I might go reread it. And then, and then, but, but yeah, we'll be, we'll be back after those two weeks off. Okay. Let's talk, let's talk this last third because a lot happened here. Number one. We learn a little bit more about the like I think they call them founding races, right? Mm-hmm. There's the Imas, the Jaghut, whatever, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then like two others that I think died off or did something else. And I know that we get one bad example of the Jaghut guys. And that might be clouding judgment, mm-hmm. but were they the good guys? They seem like they might have been the better of the two. Oh no, I 100% feel like they were the good guys in this case. Okay. Like I feel like the one we get is the good guy that like was sick and tired of the Imas going around and trying to destroy them all the time, and so he was like, "Guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna just kill them all." And they're like, "Dude, don't." Don't though, like, don't stoop to their level. And he's like, "I'm gonna freaking do it, okay? I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna murder him. I'm going to. You can't stop me. I'm going to." And everyone else, all of his buddies, right. are just like, "Ah, that's lame, dude." It's classic, classic raced. I, I think that from what we saw, I'm assuming the Jagat, like on a one to one ratio, much more powerful than the Amass. Mm-hmm. Was my was my reading. Um, it seemed like other than our boy raced, they were just like cool solo artist guys. Yeah. And I'm into that. They, they seemed like just roving kind of like hippies, like going out doing, you know, fun art stuff. Didn't really, wasn't really into the whole society kind of thing. It sounded lovely. Didn't want the man to keep him down. Yeah, and the Imas were just, like, keeping him down, it sounds like. Right. That's our. That's my current view of the, like, prehistorical world. It may turn out to be wrong. Mm-hmm. But then again, there's, like, like I'm pretty sure an Imas was the one who was telling us all this. Like, I think Tool yeah, was the I... one who gave us this history, and... If you're going to portray your people as the ones who are, like, going around and murdering the Jaghut, who are just trying to live their lives, just trying to live their best life out here, 
that's already not good. Like, it doesn't seem like he's giving us a propaganda campaign where he's like, they were too powerful. We, we couldn't let them, mm-hmm. you know, keep existing because eventually they would conquer us. He was just kind of like, yeah, we just wanted to take them over. So we fought them. They didn't really want to fight us, but we fought them. Right. Right. So, yeah, so I'm feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, it feels good to me, too. I'm into it. And pretty kind of a big bummer also. Like, it's kind of... Right. Lorne has this moment where she's like, oh, I'm pretty sure we are the baddies here. I'm pretty sure hearing this story from Tool and realizing that we are perpetuating this, like, exact same cycle of violence... And it seems to never end. I think we're the bad guys, but I am still going to do all that stuff that I planned on doing. That, I know that is so, that's the thing for like a lot of characters in this. And it's very frustrating. <laughs> um, but it really, it really moves the story along. I will say, we know there's a lot of Imas left. Uh, there is a, at least one Jack Hut left that we hear about who came i think he gave them this like clock mm-hmm. calendar mm-hmm. thing and i i love that um animander rake <laughs> like gets told this and he's like oh that guy oh yeah he's pretty good he's pretty smart you should listen uh, okay since we're talking about that scene it's crazy to me how little credence baruch is willing to give this thing when it's like, it's been running for a thousand years, and the year that it's about to be is Moon Tears, or like Moon's Tear, and the Moon Spawn, for the first time like ever, is right up, ab- like literally above you. Like you could look up and see it. And you're like, yeah, well, I don't think too much about it though, because it's really old, so it doesn't really get a lot right. <laughs> what? It got it exactly right. Like within a day. What do you mean? Yeah. You need Rake I'm, to tell you cu- that it's cool? <laughs> I am curious. Like, because it's been here for a while, so it has to have a track record, right? He's talking about it like it's the Zodiac or whatever. This is like literally predicting real-time events that are happening. It's not just like, oh, go out and be a leader this month and good things will come to you and... Like, put out good energy in the world and you'll get good energy back and stay away from Virgos. It's like moon tier. Something about the moon is going to happen. And then moon spawn is right there. That's empirical evidence. Right. Right. I am curious how, like, actually useful the predictions are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, Where, like, if... They, if it was coming up, you're like next year's moon's tears. I'm not really sure what that means. Maybe like the tides are gonna come in more frequently or something, and then like moon spawn comes by. It's like, oh yeah, it was very right, but it didn't help me at all. Yes, well, it's it's kind of like the deck of dragons kind of prediction as I see it. Like it gives you general vibes for what's going to happen in the future but not a lot of specifics Mm. but i feel Mm -hmm. like as time gets closer to the allotted year that's coming up 
you can start to put a few things together, right? Like next year, maybe, is going to be Moon's tier. Uh, Moonspawn is is chilling over at Pale. Hmm. That's mm. true. I wonder if it has anything to do with Moonspawn this next year coming up. Let's keep let's keep tabs on that. Maybe we'll put somebody on that. We'll do a little research. And then as the days get closer, right? And you hear that Moonspawn has left Pale and is out somewhere and like wonder where hmm seems like it's more likely it's about, you know, you could start to put these things together over time. Sure. That's fair. That's fair. We got to we got to get some more interpretation of this of this calendar. I I imagine there is like a whole newspaper section devoted to it. I just think Baruch needs to right. take it a little more seriously. I get that he's a scientist or whatever, but you can do magic. So what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> That's very true. Very true. At the beginning. Okay. At the very early on in this section, can we kind of go off a little bit on Paran? Captain Paran? Yes. Okay. The point that I want to go off on our our captain is when Hairlock shows up with him and Talk the Younger. Mm-hmm. They get in this conflict. Talk gets thrown into a warren. Which side note, Paran keeps talking about Talk like he's dead. Is that true? No, he did, we, if we don't see a body, he's not dead. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the key that's rule my here. Go-to. We don't see a body. Talk the younger has got to be running around a war in somewhere looking for a way out desperately. Right. He's he's gonna he's gonna come back as talk the white wizard. He's got to. Anyway, so they're with Hairlock. Hairlock's about to kill him, and then Quick Ben like paralyzes him essentially, and the hounds come and just tear up this wooden doll and. A, Apparently, that's all it took to get rid of Hairlock, which is kind of interesting just from a story perspective that this character doesn't make it to the end. And it just seems like, eh, yeah, they're done. Like, eh, who knows what they were up to, but it's over. Right. Um, but the crazy part here is when Animander Rake comes, kills two hounds, lets Peron go. And then Peron gets like a little ways down the road and is like, "Ah, I should go back. Turns around, goes back to the, these bodies of the hounds that are there. Rake is nowhere in sight. And then he goes up and starts sticking his fingers in them. What? What? Why? Why? What are you doing? What is this? What? Are you trying to die? (laughs) Right. This is another example of Peron being very confident with like immortal beings when he probably shouldn't be. He has no idea what will happen. Like none. And he just is like, I got I better stick my finger in this one. <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing to do. Can I can I also say in this scene he he's in like the sword, right? He goes, he goes into the little terrible torture warren. That's the sword, mm-hmm. and he calls the twins there, or at least, or one of them at least. 
and the twin has to come a that's wild but this is a lot this is a bigger point about opan's strategy in that they have put out like two items into the world that is their own which seems like a huge vulnerability for them whereas like none of the other gods do that and it creates a huge amount of problems for opan it's like what are you doing (laughs) it's like oh if somebody just gets the sword then you're in a lot of trouble what 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 do you mean you just left it out it's a right it's a huge risk i don't really see what benefit they were going for so i okay i actually love this for a pawn as much as i'm happy to criticize them for it i love it for a pawn and i'll get to that in in one second for why i love it for a pawn but the i want to keep going i want to get back to to Paran here real quick because sure. you bring you brought us into the sword but again Paran g- gets like one buddy that's like pulling this wagon and is like hey those wolves are kind of annoying I'd love for somebody to do something about it and Paran's like ah, I got you just one second um what are you doing like <laughs> what why you don't know anything about this person this person could have been like the worst and like the worst sentient being that has ever existed this person could have been like enslaving people and torturing them and just like totally deserves what he's got coming to him and you're like oh you're a little inconvenienced by these wolves that tried to murder me uh yeah let me help you out and then he like helps these wolves okay yes i it's it's a little unclear to me who he's helping and why. I feel like the same thing that happened to me when reading this happened to Peron, which I felt so much more sad about the hounds and how miserable they were than like any of the people in this like torture dungeon. And I feel like that's what Peron was doing. He's like, I can't bear to see these dogs all sad (laughs) this is actually a extremely valid point here that i didn't that i didn't even think of is yeah the the vibe of these hounds just like frantically trying to get free and it seems like they don't really know what's going on with like they're just chained oh yeah now that i'm thinking about it from the perspective of these are just big dogs that got chained up oh this sucks i'm kind of with peron actually it was so sad. Yeah. Ooh, and ooh, and it is sadder than the dude who's just like, yeah, I'm pushing this wagon. Oh, well. Right. I think because the dude knows what he's doing, right? The dude is like, I'm chained up for eternity and I have to push this wagon. So here we go. Whereas the dogs are just like, <laughs> what is going on? Why are there creaking wheels everywhere? These chains are so loud. I can't. I can't do this. <laughs> Right. It's a little unclear to me how, like, intelligent the hounds are. But, yeah, I, at least in my perspective, the hounds were much sadder. And I was was pretty glad that Peron did his little trick. Yes. Now that I think about it, I was also glad. I still just think it's wild that they were literally trying to murder you, Peron. And maybe you just, like, let them go. Like, you don't know what this did. Maybe you just, like, let them go and they're like, nice. Now we can kill that idiot. (laughs) 
I yeah, don't but know. I think it, it, he gets a little bit of it works out for him in the end. It does in of. the end. It does kind of work out for him in the end. But I think it's just kind of wild the decisions that Peron chose to make in that little section of the book. I do want to go back to the point about Opon though, and why I love what Opon is doing here. I love Opon's style. I like at first I think we talked about how much power Opon seemed to be influencing events here. And I think to a certain extent I still agree with that. But the vibe that Opon has where they're just like, we're gonna throw some items out into the world and influence the luck of the person that has them a little bit, but like that's it. We're just gonna see what happens. I love it as a style for upon like they're not influencing stuff directly but they're just kind of like subtly like tipping tipping the scales a little bit and they don't have like direct control right like the sword he gives it to the shadow throne he's just like here and upon is like you did what with my fucking sword I love that for Opon. It feels very right for the god of luck and chance. It's just like, yeah, I don't have direct control. So here it is. Okay, yeah, I think that's tr- that's a good point. Um, I I still, maybe this was me missing. I don't quite know what Opon's goals were mm-hmm. with the overall story. At least in this book, maybe I mean it's a long series, so maybe it was maybe Opon's playing the long game. Um, but, but yeah, I'd like to think now that you bring that up that Opon's just like throwing things in and it's like let's see what's let's see what happens here. Kind of, I a... like Crocus. Maybe he'll do something funny. <laughs> the other the other key reason why I love Opon's style is specifically with Crocus here. Imagine imagine you are the head of the Assassin's Guild and you are trying to like exec- you're trying to fulfill this contract that'll make you the head of this city and cause the Malazan to come in and you get thwarted by a kid with a brick. That's comedy, baby. That is. <laughs> That's classic. You've worked classic your way Opon. up. You've worked your way up the ranks. You've developed this high magic ability. You've killed countless people to get where you are. And you've just got to get one more score before you're like on the top of the heap and you're in the in the throne. And a kid with a brick ruins it all for you. <laughs> Classic Opon. Love it. Uh, so I love Opon's style. I really do. Okay. That's fair. I, I agree with you now that we've talked about it. <clears throat> One thing that was really interesting to me is Anamander Rake has been like a big part of this book. And I think maybe his vibe is just kind of sinister. I mean, mean, the fucking sword. He's like the Prince of Darkness. He has like a horrifying sword. Um, But his motivation is to just like do good things because he's like bored. I mean, it's probably more complicated than that, and I'm very much simplifying it, but I was surprised by this. Were you? Yeah, I... Is it that he was doing good things, or that he was just, like... I couldn't tell if it was good things or not, or if it was some other, like, reason he was doing what he was doing. 
Uh, I feel like he was... He had some specific things. Like, I, th- I think in general he was, like, opposing the Empire. Mm-hmm. But the overarching thing was that he was, like... I don't remember if it was him that said this, but, like, that he was on the side of life. Or was that someone else, or...? Mm, I don't think that that was him. I do think... I, d- I don't think so, either. I do think that he was, like, trying to give his people, like, hope. That was part of it, is he's, like... He, his people are just so old and tired of it all that he, they just don't care, and he's trying to give them something to care about. Right. Yeah, so it, my takeaway from it was that they were all, they were, like, gonna die and kind of ready to die, and he just wanted to, like, like, go out doing the correct thing. And, like, the example of that that I was most impressed by and surprised by was when he talks about he's talking to the alchemist Baruch and Baruch is like why did you just let them go into the barrow and release the tyrant and he's like it's gonna happen eventually best to do it while I'm here and can stop it it's like oh good for you Rake just like I don't know if you're sacrificing yourself necessarily but you go buddy Doing good things, Prince of Darkness. Right, right, the Prince of Darkness. And I do actually think he was a part of that discussion about the light and how, like, one of the, one of his, like, assassin mages is like, why are we helping these people? They're like, the light is like a corruption. It's been corrupted. And he's kind of like, yeah, but it's cool. The light's kind of cool, so we should we should help out. I think that I think that one of his like lieutenants says this. Mm, I think you might where be right, she's yeah. like the the flaw in this is that it was hope, and I like that's a good flaw to have. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Which so, good, I mean, the the leadership's flowing down. So I guess maybe like Rake's outward appearance is a little bit off putting, right? like black dragon uh is in a gigantic floating city that has like thousands of ravens that call it home like huge sword that enslaves people very death metal vibes Mm -hmm. but he's singing about he's singing about the hope for the future you know right he's singing we are the world but he's doing a death metal (laughs) scream i'm for it i'm also for it i like rake it does seem like in this last bit we kind of got some some characters to root for finally. Like we get mm-hmm. some we get some motivations here that are people that seem to be doing good stuff and trying to help the world in some way. And I appreciate that finally. <laughs> I really do. Right. The but staying on Rake for a second. We find out that he's been reading Mammoth's history books. Why? <laughs> You're saying because he lived them? Yeah, he's like 30,000 years old. Uh, is like, is he reading to figure out what Mammoth got wrong? Is he like, oh, <laughs> actually, that did not happen. <laughs> um, okay, that's a good question. I do think that it still provides value. Uh, number one maybe 
maybe he's like like I don't really know necessarily what's going on in Myanmar unless I read the news. So maybe this is the equivalent of Rake reading the news. He's like, oh, I didn't really know that this was going on over there. Um, or it's good to keep up with what current, like current historians or people like think what happened. You know what I mean? I see. So you're saying it's good to stay relevant with what the culture thinks is important about the history. Right. Like right. the example in the U S you know, for a long time, our narrative was one thing and we were all hype about George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Christopher Columbus. And then now we've kind of learned some things about those folks and we're maybe not so hype about Thomas Jefferson and Christopher Columbus. Right. Like we've we've started to appreciate some nuance and Rake is like, okay. Rake's like, okay, we're not celebrating Columbus Day anymore, so I should get rid of the costume. Okay, that's good to know. I'm glad. I'm glad we got there, everybody. I'm glad we got it's there. Very, it's very useful. He also has got. He's he's read it every other book by now. So that's ooh, that's actually so true. In an age before the printing press, he definitely would be able to read all the books that had existed. Considering he's like a few hundred thousand years old. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably... Wait, is he hundreds of thousands of years old? I thought it was I tens of thousands. Like Regardless, it's plenty of time to read all the books. <laughs> okay. Can we move on to our, our, our mortals? Yeah, let's do it. So the one note that I have about Crocus... There's a lot that goes on with Crocus... Um, and we like him in the end, mm-hmm. but he was being very annoying and condescending with sorry, or Ap- I guess Absalor at this point. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that it was very funny because I'm going to call her Absalor mm-hmm. because the moment that I'm thinking of is they're like, trying to get to the roof of this old abandoned temple and it's like a real struggle because it's pitch black and absolutely it's like hey if you, like if you want me to lead like i can see perfectly fine and crocus is like shut up honestly what am i what are the like most annoying like Crocus was being very annoying in that moment, but I like genuinely laughed because it was like, what are you doing, buddy? <laughs> yeah, the, it felt like it captured a young man who like he's clearly got a crush on Absalar and he doesn't really know how to deal with it. So he's gone the route of I'm going to be really angry about around this person so they don't know, uh, which is also strange to think about that in the context of what he has seen her do. Like he... He knows she murdered that guy, right? Yes. And so now he's like, he's got these feelings for her, but he's also witnessed her murder somebody for like apparently no reason. So he's like, oh, is this a good feeling? Should I be worried about this? (laughs) So I can respect that. But... Right. There's some confusion there. But I do love his 
his condescension here to Absalar. I think it is great. Um, the yeah, <laughs> not very few of these romantic relationships in the book. I think are super. I'll say super healthy. I don't think they're unrealistic. But the other one that comes mm-hmm. to mind is the Tattersail Peron thing. Sure. I feel like they don't know each other nearly well enough for Peron to be like pining after her in her new body, being like, I'm gonna find you Tattersail and we're gonna we're gonna make it together, you and me. It's like you had like very few conversations with Tattersail, really. Uh right i i just i feel like it's moving a little too quickly there it it is moving very quickly i will say tattersail very intriguing as a person mm-hmm. right now yeah for sure so so maybe peron is like i got a taste of screwing around with ascendants for a little while and i don't want to like settle down i want to i want to Keep doing like, keep doing weird things. <laughs> I'm gonna hold out for tatter for tatter sale because that sounds like it'll be fun. See, she seems like she's gonna be able to be like a shapeshifter, which is very intriguing to me. Although she was five last time I met her, so maybe maybe I'll hold off on, on any of that kind of stuff. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. One one relationship that has not been mended, but the circumstances around it have, our boy Call mm. and his ex-wife, Lady Simtol. I am very intrigued by the sequence of events that has led up to the current scenario and how everyone thinks that those issues can be resolved. Where, like, it's not gone into detail, but Lady Simtal did some shady things and somehow, like, stripped call of his money and status and all of that, and then just, like, said he was dead. And everyone was like, okay. <laughs> But, like, a lot of people know that he's not because we get a lot of the people in power like, yeah, if you guys are able to, like, do this, it's going to be dope. Loved call. Would love to have him back. And then they just, like, kill Orr. And it's like, he's back, baby. (laughs) So I'm I'm not totally sure the, like, what paperwork is going on. Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of this is paperwork and, like, technicalities. You know, so like uh, because it seems like in order to keep his name, which is where the power comes from, Lady Simtal couldn't divorce him. Right. Because I I don't think a judge is going to be like, OK, yeah, you can get divorced, but you get his name and he has to leave his house and everything. And he gets absolutely right. nothing. Sure. Fine. Uh, so I think part of the technicalities that they had to work out was for her to be a widow. So she could get all of his stuff and he would get, end up with nothing. And so I imagine there was like a shady deal with a death certificate that went through. So it's like all on the books and up and up and like all the taxes work out well. And so like legally he is dead. But like it's the same thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure in 
the U.S., there are a few people who have been declared dead that are like, hey, I'm actually not dead. I just can't. I don't have any ID or anything. And so I can't. Yeah. I can't prove that it's me. Uh, And so I imagine it might be something similar to that or even to where like they almost have a majority of people on the council who are willing to be like, oh, yeah, calls calls not dead. We should probably get him back in here. But uh, Councilman Orr is like, mm, I'm not going to put that up for a vote. We're not even going to vote on that. Okay. Okay. We're filibuster. Right. He's going to filibuster it every time. Yeah. Because he's the, he's the majority leader and can decide. what. Okay. That's, that's fair. The other thing about this is that it's very interesting to me that their plan, which worked out, was to get Councilman Orr to challenge Ralic to a duel. And it seems like a good good plan to have worked out. I just think it's wild if I'm Councilman Orr to challenge a complete stranger to a like fight to the death. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. I have no idea if you're a good sword fighter. Yeah, I mean And maybe it speaks to his character of being like overly confident. I'm just, I'm just amazed. I don't know. So like for sure. I've never been like bumped into and and been insulted and thought I would fight this guy to the death right now if I was allowed to. All right. Well, that makes one of us. But (laughs) I think there is certainly a level of kind of analysis that Turban Orr has done to decide to challenge him to a duel. For example, if we swap Rake in there with this giant six-foot-long sword on his back, a thousand years could go by where Rake is making Yo Mama jokes the whole time about Turbmanor, and he's not going to challenge him to a duel ever. He's going to find some way to get out of the situation. But I imagine he sees Ralik... And he's like, I think I could take this guy. I think I could take him. This is worth a duel. Uh, I mean, to be fair, it does seem like he does some little moves with the like arrangement of the seconds and everything, such that it'll come out like super well for him. So we'll give him that. I just don't think that he's... I guess just the, the thought of him losing never crosses his mind. Yes, yes. I also think it's crazy how apparently there's no rules about what kind of weapons you have to use in this. Like, what if he just pulled out a crossbow and shot you before the... I, like, is that is that against the rules? It seems like that might be against the spirit of the rules, but then he doesn't put on a sword and fight with a with a sword against Turbmanor like he does. It sounds like Turbmanor has a sword that he gets that's a special dueling sword. Right. I imagine there are some rules. Like, I imagine crossbow's not allowed. But there is there is a referee, basically. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it seems like it seems like people don't like Turban Orr. No, I don't think very so many maybe, people do. So maybe the ref was just like, ah, it's fine. Well the ref was Baruch, right? I, I can't remember if it was Baruch or just, like, one of the other council. 
I'm pretty sure it was Baruch because the other councilman was his second. And Baruch was tired of them being like, oh, no, you ref. No, you ref. And he was like, I'm going to do it. Shut up. Just fight, please. Which is funny because Baruch wanted coil or call in power. Right. Baruch wanted call And he also knows Relic. Right. Exactly. So there's like a level of, yeah, I'm fine with whatever here. (laughs) But I agree. I, I think a duel works if you're dueling like somebody you know. Like, if if it's council person to council person, I think a duel makes a lot of sense. I know that this dude is a scrub. I'm in the gym, like, eight hours more a week than he is. I'm going to crush him. So, yeah, I'm going to challenge him to a duel. But, yeah, a stranger on the street, you have no idea their level of ability. If they're even from your city. Right? right. Like, sure, maybe he's the best in Darugistan. There's other places, my guy. Uh, and okay this is going to transition well into something i want to talk about he apparently has some magic to keep him safe like he's got some wards to keep him safe from attack so that could have been bolstering his confidence a little bit the reason why relic is able to kill him is because he's rubbed this powder all over himself this is the crazy one of the craziest choices in a long list of crazy choices that characters have made because he has been explicitly told by Baruch, the master alchemist in Darugistan, not to rub this on his skin. Don't get it on you because it changes you. And he proceeds to take the entire bag and cover his body in it. What? Like, what? What are you doing? Maybe you go to Baruch and he's like, oh yeah, so I didn't want to explain to you the mechanism for increased carcinogenic risk, but um, (laughs) you're going to develop some tumors pretty shortly. (laughs) Right. Okay. So he does say that like the effects are unpredictable, right? (laughs) Who knows where the tumors will be? You're going to get some tumors. (laughs) So, okay, A, I kind of assume that this is where the adjunct gets her powers. Yes, yes. It's from the sword. It's made of the same material. Right. And I I think that, I mean, I, I you make a good point. <laughs> it seems like Ralic was just, like, ready to go. And he was like, this is the, like, most important thing to me. I just need to kill Ocelot. Cool name, by the way. Yeah, very cool. And so I was for it. I am always for characters that I don't have a ton invested in taking risks that may or may not give them superpowers. I will always say yes for that. I mean, I guess... I don't know if I'm going to do it. No. What if it just, like, paralyzed him? What if he rubbed this on his body, got, like, ten feet off the ground on this tower on his climb, and then his body stopped working and he fell? Like, there's... He doesn't know what it's gonna do. Right. What if it turned him into a little mouse? Ooh. Which could be a very fun story, actually. Ralic the Assassin right. Mouse? A little, a little Stuart Little Gardens of the Moon crossover. Be very cool. Be very cool. It's just so wild to me. It's so wild to me that he was like unpredictable 
a time to roll those dice, baby. A lot of people are doing that in this There's book. a lot of dice being rolled. That's very true. Did he have the coin, maybe? Did he steal the coin for a minute, and that's what made him do this? Because mm. a lot of these characters that are making choices that are a little questionable tend to have some god influencing them in some way. They've got a coin <laughs> or a sword or something, or they dream about a god. What? Ooh. Ooh. What is you know, Ralic I don't remember, have? But... <laughs> Maybe a fidget spinner from one of the gods? Could be. Could be a fidget spinner. I assume it's not. It can't be one of his weapons because that would be too obvious. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It worked out for him, though. Yeah. I'm excited to see what, uh, what other powers he gets. I agree. I'm very hype about the situation as it unfolded. I'm very into it. I think it's very cool. I actually, I actually hope that it's like a a balanced thing, where it seems good so far, right? Like I hope that it's not either you get something really good or really bad. Maybe it's, hey, now you're kind of immune to magic and you heal really quick, but you uh, have to like pee every ten minutes. Dude, I was literally about to say half size black. Gonna be. That was my go-to is I was like, oh, half-size bladder. It's very inconvenient. Ooh, am I taking that? I don't know if I'm taking that bargain. Uh, well, I mean, I don't... Let's say quarter-size bladder. For Okay, for one thing... <laughs> are you saying are you taking that in your current situation? Yeah. In which you were immune to magic and heal very from, like, stab wounds very quickly? Yeah. I am in that situation a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it was like healing from small overuse knee injuries, I'm taking that 100%. That's going to be really useful in like 40 years for us, Luke. Yeah, not not now not or anything. Now. No. Can we talk about, I think, perhaps my favorite character from this book? And that character being Krupp. Who's that? You hated him earlier. I know. I love Krupp. <laughs> I'm team Krupp. Dead comes around. Dude, okay. <laughs> Can I tell you the... First off, you may have been right with Krupp being the most powerful because apparently he was like single-handedly going to trap this tyrant in a dream warren and just be like totally cool. Which like... Right. That sounds very powerful. Way to go, Krupp. But also very Krupp. The other thing that I thought was like the greatest thing about Krupp is the fact that he is like, he's like actually has a sweet tooth. Like he, that's not a role he's playing. That's not a bit. He just is hype about donuts. That, that's what got it for me is his internal monologue as he was going to the party was like, there's going to be some dope pastries. (laughs) And I was like, God damn it, Krupp, you've won me. That's you you have my heart, Krupp. It was great. At the very end, after like everything seems to have gone pretty well, he's just like down in the kitchens, downing the leftovers. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I did too. I'm glad that you've come around, because I was pretty pro Krupp from the beginning. <laughs> I just wasn't sold on him being that powerful based on based on your analysis of him stealing sweets. But given this sure. new, you know, now that we got this 
there was the reveal about Krupp being the eel. And because I was always concerned that there was this level of Krupp that he was like not giving us where he was like the eel was a separate thing from Krupp where, you know, he would switch into his eel persona and maybe be much more like cool (laughs) and calculating and all of it was for an act. But when it's revealed at the end that like, no, he just is really into donuts and he's also the eel. I loved it. I loved it. I was willing to accept him into my heart because he wasn't lying to me, you know? Right. Uh, yeah, I think that's all it took for me. I think that that's, I think that that's good analysis. I'm very, I'm very pro crop. Um, I, well, this is going to be crop adjacent. Was his real name circle breaker? Krupp? No, 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 no. Sorry, not Krupp. The character Circle Breaker. Yes. That seems to have been his name, not his, like, agent name. No, 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 no. His agent name was Circle Breaker. His real name, we never learned. And the reason why I know this okay. is because he's talking to that guard, and he's he's like, oh, I can get this guard's duty to go to Lady Simtal's party. And I'll just like play it cool and get him to give it to me. And then he does that. And the guard's like, by the way, what's your name? And then Circle, Bre- Circle Breaker is like, yes, my name is dot, dot, dot. And it's it's my understanding that those dots are like the reader never learns his name. But he does have okay. a name that he can tell this guard that's not like my name. Oh, yes, my name. Uh, Cobblestone Street. Because there's no way he's staying circle breaker to this guard whose name is like Harold. Right. This actually intrigues me now because his name was intentionally kept from us, the Mm -hmm. reader. Mm -hmm. Which makes me question whether we would recognize the name now or whether like in the that's going to be a a future name. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, whether it's going to come up in another book where it's like Circle Breaker is actually this person now in the story, but we don't necessarily know that it's Circle Breaker. Is that what you mean? Right. Like, mm-hmm. is it going to be like, oh, Circle Breaker was actually uh, Baruch or something absurd? Or if it's like in book two, like, oh, Circle Breaker was actually steve who we learn about in book two you know we had a we have a character that still doesn't have a second identity yet is quick ben circle breaker i think so i think quick ben is for sure circle breaker (laughs) um but i think the thing with circle breaker because a ton of this book was about people being used as as like tools like we had a character whose literal name got changed to tool and it's kind of like all right lauren i don't know if that's cool for you to call this person just tool um but we had a lot of like characters that were used in this way and circle breaker is one of these characters that's used by someone else for their purposes and so i feel like the fact that they have this alter ego that is separate from their use as a tool is what kind of makes it different from a lot of the other people. Like, everyone else Mm -hmm. was used as a tool by their own name, right? Like, Adjunct Lorne, Captain Paran, the Talani Mas that was renamed to just be Tool. 
they were all like as their person were used as a tool by other people um even crocus and they they added names to them later like coin bearer and things like that but we always knew both sides of who they were whereas circle breaker like kept this identity distinct from his use as a tool um Mm-hmm. And so I feel like there's that's kind of that difference. And he's also like, he was set free by the eel, right? Like the eel let him go, whereas no one else really got got let go. They had to choose to leave. Um, right. Yeah, so I, I feel like we might not see Circle Breaker again. Okay. And I'm okay with it. I'm glad he got out. I'm okay. He's, he seems like he's going to have a nice life. I'm excited for him. Watch in the next book, he's gonna be just like a main character. Yeah, uh, but I don't think so. Uh, okay. While we're talking about characters that we love, just really quick, I love Bong Lady. Did you pick up on Bong Lady? Oh, the 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 witch, the witch. lady that is with Baruch at the end. Yeah, the witch that's with Baruch at the end. Uh that at the party she has a servant walking around with a bong on a tray and then at the end her servant has left but she's just carrying her bong around because it's so important to her and she's with Baruch in his like castle just token up. Right. I love sure. bong. Yeah, lady. yeah. And she's like, "Dude, get in the circle. Like what are you doing? Get in the freaking circle. Just chill. Chill, dude." he should have it probably would have helped him to be in the circle yeah (laughs) yeah she was good um she didn't like do a ton but she was always a positive presence in the story i think yeah i agree i just love her commitment to carrying her bong around with her you know who i actually in the end did not like Hmm whiskey jack hmm oh interesting because they did a lot to get us to like whiskey jack at the end i know why don't we like whiskey jack and i just like they were just so ready to blow up darujistan and it's like i know that you're like world weary and this has been your whole thing and you're like one last but like just don't do it man (laughs) you know what i mean right well okay first off i don't think they knew like what was gonna happen like oh no no, no, i know about the like gas leak right but they're still like doing the whole thing they're still trying to hire the assassin to kill everyone they're gonna like cripple Darujistan instead of blow it up I guess and it's like I mean if you don't care about the world anymore just like don't do it just get on that fishing boat that you you were on and leave just go I like the Im- I don't know I I get that he's cool and a good commander and everything I was just irritated because it's like I don't I don't want to see I don't want to see it. Yeah, I think this is reasonable. The one so I think there's a couple layers here. The first is like they're not in open rebellion yet and I think they want to help out one arm. Like I think I don't think they're completely done. I think 
they're still interested in one arm they're still loyal to one arm and they want to do like a good thing and they see what one arm's doing as like kind of a good thing right whiskey jack has those meetings with one arm in the first section that's like what's the plan Mm -hmm. so i do feel like that's a part of it where they don't want to just completely leave um and with as far as the assassinations thing goes i think they kind of rationalize it to being like bad for the empire because they're gonna have to pay a bunch of money if they succeed that's just gonna be an absurd amount and so especially while they're while they're at war with one arm it's gonna be just like further crippling their efforts um mm-hmm. but the i like if I was sent by the Empress to go do a thing in a city, and I also know the Empress has, like, secret KGB agents all over the place, if I don't look like I'm doing the thing that I said I was here to do, they're gonna know. Like, they, they're they gonna know quick, and I'm probably not gonna make it out of here alive. So, it feels to me like they were following orders out of a sense of, like, somebody's watching. Like, if we don't do this, we're going to get caught. Right. To me, it was just that, like, he seemed like he didn't even, like, really care about staying alive necessarily. And maybe, sure, maybe this whole thing was about, like, helping out Dujek do whatever rebellion he expected to happen. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, I just feel like it's really selfish to just completely cripple a city for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you there. That's a little... Especially one as cool as Darujistan. Right. I don't know. It is pretty rude of you, Whiskey Jack. Maybe it was more just like Fiddler and Hatch... They were very excited, and he didn't have the heart to tell him we're not planting the bombs. You know, here's I think this is going to be a hot take. I'm anti bridge burner. Oh, very hot take, Luke. I think I think that like obviously this has been set up and and true, where they have seen too many campaigns and. They probably have, like, a loss of respect for human life. Because, like, the... the I forget which two it is. The sappers. Fiddler and I think Or, like, Hatch. super hyped. Yeah. Yeah, or, like, super hyped to blow stuff up. Yes. And on one hand, that's kind of relatable in terms of, like, yeah, it's cool to see things blow up. But come on, you guys. I'm now thinking about this. This is a... This is a terrorist attack, I think. I think we can Yeah, I'll get I that. think we can classify this as like a very bad terrorist attack that they are trying to perpetuate because these are civilians. Like these are Right. There's it doesn't seem like Darugistan really even has an army that we've seen and you're going to do this on a festival that this is ooh. Guys, we're we're not doing terrorism, please. Yeah, okay. Right. So I'm a- I'm coming down anti bridge burner. Maybe not anti like quick bin because quick bin seems cool. <laughs> okay, wait, hold on. Oh, how are we picking and choosing among this group of of terrorists? 
Okay, fair. Okay, we're I'm anti all bridge burners. That's my hot take for the day. You know what? I you've you've brought me around actually. I am also not really for the bridge burners anymore. It, okay, they did do the right thing in the end. We should say that. They didn't actually blow okay, everybody up. Okay, sure. I also want to point out amateur move. Amateur move to not be aware of the like gas lines. What are you doing? Yeah, this is true. This, this is city true. is famous for these. You would have noticed as soon as you got there, right? Yeah. Yeah, so true. Luke, we're going to be reading the next book, but let's give let's give short little reviews, okay? I'll start. I enjoyed this book a lot. The ending for this book was extremely satisfying. Great fight scenes, cool climax at the end, lots of fun stuff happening. I was into the end. It took us a while to get there, I'll say. It was a little slow to start, but the end was very hype. So I'm excited for the next book. Okay, yes. Quick For quick reviews, I'm, I was also very into it. I was actually kind of into it from the beginning. And like we said, we had read this book before. I will say I remember it completely differently for whatever reason i thought that everything ended poorly but that was not the case i was very into it i was very into the like scale of the world that i'm getting that's 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 one of the big selling points for me but yeah i'm also very excited to read the next book in not next week not the week after that two weeks. we're taking two week break mm-hmm. and then we'll be back with the first third of Dead House Gates. That's right, Luke. That's right. So, you know, take these two weeks. Check out some of our old episodes. You know, we've got a lot of them. Maybe there's a book you've read already that you want to go back and, and check out our episode on that. Maybe there's a book you haven't, you've been meaning to read for a while. And, oh, hey, look, Red Rising. The, the boys did a whole series on, on Red Rising. Let's do mm-hmm. that. Let's spend two weeks catching up with with what our boy Darrow Darrow is up to in Red Rising. Ooh, what a great way to spend two weeks, Luke. What a great way. But uh, yeah, yeah. Looking forward to this break and looking forward to coming back with plenty of hot takes. And more dumb nerds. <laughs>